from the Hadamard Catechism. We read together Lord's Day 33. What is the true repentance or conversion of man? It is the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. What is the dying of the old nature? It is to grieve with heartfelt sorrow that we have offended God by our sin, and more and more to hate it and flee from it. What is the coming to life of the new nature? It is a heartfelt joy in God through Christ, and a love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. But what are good works? Only those which are done out of true faith in accordance with the law of God and to his glory, and not those based on our own opinion or on the precepts of man. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, last week we began the third section of the Catechism dealing with our thankfulness. We learned that as redeemed and renewed Christians, we must do good works. In our lives we are to bear fruits of thankfulness so that God is praised, so that we may be assured of our faith and that our neighbor may be one for Christ. We cannot do that of ourselves. Our sinful nature is incapable of doing any good. Yet through the power of Christ and of his Holy Spirit, we are enabled to do so. Christ said to his disciples, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do Nothing. So we see that through the power of Christ's Spirit dwelling in us, we can bring forth fruits of thankfulness. In Lord's Day 33, the Catechism discusses how it is that we are enabled to do good works. It speaks of how our old sinful nature is put to death and how the new nature worked in us by the Holy Spirit comes to life. It calls this dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new nature the repentance or the conversion of man. The point is that we need to go through a great change, a transformation in our lives. When dead in our sins, we need to come to life in Christ. We all need to undergo this change. The form for the baptism of infants describes how we're all conceived and born in sin. It says that we are therefore by nature children of wrath. So we cannot enter the kingdom of God unless we are born again. In some Christians' lives, that change has occurred suddenly. Think, for example, of the Apostle Paul who was converted through a special experience on the road to Damascus. In other people's lives, this change has worked slowly through time. 
Think of Paul's fellow worker, Timothy, who was instructed in the faith from an early age onwards. The timing of our conversion is not really that important. What is important is that this change happens in our lives. How can we know if this process is happening in our lives? To answer this question, we need to examine somewhat further what the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new nature are. Our catechism speaks about the dying of the old nature as a grieving for our sins and a fighting against them. It speaks about the coming to life of the new nature as a joy in God through Christ, through which we delight to do good works. Thus, we can examine ourselves by seeing whether this grief and this joy are present in our lives. I've summarized God's word for you this afternoon in the form of a question. Do the marks of conversion show forth in your life? Do you see in your life a godly sorrow for sin and a godly joy in righteousness? When our catechism speaks about the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new, it speaks of two parts of the same process. It's not so that first the old nature dies off and that then the new nature comes to life. Instead, both of these elements take place at the same time. It is as the old nature dies that the new nature comes to life. Our old nature will never completely be put to death in this life. Our new nature will never be perfected during our time on this earth. There will continue to be a struggle between the old nature and the new nature for as long as we live. Do you experience that struggle in your lives, beloved? We all have good times and bad times in our lives. We have times when we're really happy and times when we're really sad. When a baby is born and all is well, our joy can be full. We're so thrilled with the Lord's blessings, we can't stop talking about it. When a loved one is taken out of this life, we can be deeply saddened. Our sorrow clouds our life, our perspective. We grieve because someone we loved is gone and leaves behind an empty place. Yes, beloved, we all know what it means to be happy. And we all know what it means to be sad. Happy about the good things that happen to us in this life and sad about the bad things that happen to us. Yet when we speak about our conversion, the question is not if we ever grieve or if we ever rejoice. The question is a bit more specific than that. Do you grieve because of your sins? Is there a deep sorrow in your heart that you have offended God with them? Do you rejoice in your relationship with God, restored through grace in Christ? Is it a light for you to live according to the will of God in all good works? Beloved, do you experience the same grief and joy in your life with God as you do in the death of a loved one or the birth of a child? Let's consider in some more detail the dying of the old nature This afternoon, we'll do so by examining the lives of Israel's first two kings. 
We first look to the life of King Saul. What we're particularly interested in is Saul's response when he's confronted with sin in his life. 1 Samuel 15 describes how the Lord sent Saul to punish Amalek for what he did to Israel. God's command is very specific. Saul was commanded to attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belonged to them. The Lord said, do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Saul goes and attacks Amalek. He destroyed the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, the king, and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatted calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. When Samuel confronts Saul with his sin, we see him make excuses and try shift the blame. Saul's excuse is that it was the people who took the best of the animals and that they did so to sacrifice them to the Lord at Gilgal. Even though he was king and thus provided leadership, Saul blames this sin on the people. Even though he had disobeyed the Lord's explicit command, Saul tries to justify his actions by saying he took the animals to sacrifice them to the Lord. No, beloved, that we see no admission of guilt. We see a total lack of remorse. Saul did not grieve with heartfelt sorrow that he offended God with his sin. Samuel accuses Saul of disobedience and of rebellion. He makes it clear to Saul that he is guilty of rejecting the word of the Lord. Later we see that Saul is sorry. But why is he sorry? Saul is sorry about the consequences of his sin. He's grieved about the fact that the Lord would take the kingship away from him and give it to another. The last part of 1 Samuel 15 makes it plain that Saul is more concerned about finding honor before the people than he is about being restored in his relationship with the Lord. Let's now contrast Saul's life with that of David, the king who replaced him. 2 Samuel 11 speaks about David's sin of adultery with Bathsheba and murdering her husband Uriah to cover up his sin. This passage makes it clear that Satan again attacked Israel's theocratic king in an attempt to ruin and to destroy God's people. Yet it also shows forth the Lord's grace on David and his steadfast love for his people. For the Lord does not allow Satan to win this battle. Through his spirit, he convicts David of his sin and leads him on the pathway of true repentance. The Lord also used a prophet to confront David with his sin. Nathan goes and tells David a parable about a rich man who kills his neighbor's one and only beloved lamb. While he had many flocks and herds, David becomes angry and pronounces a severe judgment on the man who has done this thing. He says, the man who has done this deserves to die. And then comes the climax of the story. 
Nathan says to David, you are the man. He outlines David's sins to him and proclaims the Lord's judgment on his sin. Note, beloved, David's response. There is no ducking for cover. David doesn't make any excuses. He doesn't shift the blame onto anyone else. Nathan's words pierce him to his heart. So what does David say? I have sinned against the Lord. When confronted with his sin, David responds with a humble heart and a contrite spirit. We see that further from what he wrote in Psalm 51. It's a psalm that David wrote specifically in connection with his sin of adultery with Bathsheba and his sin of murdering Uriah. Psalm 51 is a prayer for repentance. David pleads with God to have mercy on him. He prays, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David confesses his sins before the Lord. He says to God, against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. It's clear, David grieves with heartfelt sorrow because of his sin. He's not just sorry because of the consequences of his sin, because of the punishment that God brings upon him. Rather, he's sorry that he's offended God with his sin. David humbles himself. He pleads for God's mercy and steadfast love. For David desires to be restored in his relationship with the Lord. Beloved, how do you react when confronted with sin in your life? Are you like Saul? And that you try to minimize your wrongdoing? Do you make excuses Or try shift the blame onto someone else? How do you respond when your conscience accuses you that you have sinned? Are you willing to humble yourself before God? Do you get down on your knees to pray? Do you confess your sins to the Lord? Or are you too proud to admit your wrongdoing? Our catechism teaches us that true repentance or conversion involves the dying of the old nature. Do you see that in your life? Do you grieve because of your sins? Do your sinful thoughts and words and deeds cause you sorrow because of the way in which they offend our holy God? Or are you only sorry when you get caught doing something wrong and are punished for it or have to make restitution for it? Beloved, what kind of spirit rules your heart? A spirit of rebellion and stubbornness? Or are you governed by a broken spirit and a contrite heart? Godly grief for sin is something that's worked in us by the Holy Spirit. Through his word, God convicts us of our sin, and he makes us sorry for it. True sorrow for sin is seen in that we hate the sin itself and we flee from it. An unbeliever may say that he is sorry, but actually he's not. He's only sorry because he got caught 
If he could get away with it, he'd do it again. There's no hating of the sin itself. There's no running away from it. But that's different in the life of a child of God. True conversion involves an inward change of heart. It is described as a rebirth. For the Holy Spirit creates in us a new heart by which we're able to live a new life in Jesus Christ. The change in us is so great that the Canons of Dort, chapter 3, 4, article 12, compares it to a new creation and to a resurrection from the dead. In our first point, we've seen that true conversion involves a godly sorrow for sin, that it involves grief and tears. Yet the same process of conversion also involves a heartfelt joy in God through Christ. I've summarized the second point under the question, do you see in your life a godly joy in righteousness? The coming to life of the new nature in us causes us real joy and happiness in our lives. True conversion is not a matter of walking around with a sad face all the time because of the burden of our sins. It includes much rejoicing and thankfulness because this burden has been lifted from us in Christ. Our reading from Psalm 51 makes this clear. The same David who lamented because of his sins also rejoices because of God's grace. He prays, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. And Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. David prays that God in grace will restore him in his relationship with him. For he longs for the joy of living in the faith with the burden of sin removed from his life. Another psalm David wrote describes even more vividly the joy involved in true repentance. Psalm 32 speaks of the joy of forgiveness. David sings about the blessings of those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. He relates how for a time he lived in his sin. It was a truly miserable experience for him. David says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Yet David's sorrow and suffering was turned to joy when he confessed his sin to the Lord. He speaks of how the Lord surrounds those who repent with songs of deliverance. David says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. In David's life, we see that his sorrow was turned to joy. Through the mighty working of the Spirit in him, he was restored from misery to a living relationship with the Lord his God. What a contrast there is between David and Saul. 1 Samuel 16, 14 tells us that now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. We see the effect that this had on Saul. He gradually became an angry, a bitter, a spiteful man. Despite all that David did for him, Saul becomes envious of David and sought to kill him. 
Saul's life degenerates more and more. He killed the priests of Nob because they sheltered David. He inquired of a medium, a spiritist, because the Lord no longer answered him. His life ends in suicide on the battlefield. Saul's lack of repentance led him further and further away from God and more and more into misery and despair. Now we can ask, what was the difference between Saul and David? Was it just that Saul refused to repent and that David did? While the Lord holds all men accountable for their deeds, we cannot attribute David's joy or Saul's despair simply to those men themselves. The difference between the two was that the Holy Spirit continued to work in David while he departed from Saul. The difference was that through the work of the Spirit in him, David sought his refuge and salvation in God, while Saul did not. Yet this does not leave us without responsibility. In Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, Paul commands us, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work, according to his good pleasure. It's true that we will only turn to God and seek him if he works this in us by the power of the Spirit. But at the same time, God commands us to work out our own salvation. The Spirit does not work in a vacuum. We need to give him opportunity to work by reading and studying the Bible, by listening to the gospel preached, by praying for the Spirit's work in us. On the final day, no one will be able to blame God for not working conversion in their hearts. God has given us the means, and we need to use them. Our catechism teaches that true repentance or conversion includes a heartfelt joy in God through Christ. And of also rejoicing in God and his boundless grace that he's accomplished for us in Jesus Christ, his son. Beloved, do you experience the joy of conversion in your life? Have you ever had it that after you confessed your sins, the Lord removed a great burden from your shoulders? Is your heart then filled with joy for grace in Christ? Do you sing forth those songs of deliverance David speaks about? Because many of us have grown up in the faith, we can have the tendency to be somewhat blasé about it. But there's nothing boring about the true repentance or the conversion of man. When you experience this, your whole life changes. True conversion involves not just the heartfelt joy and the deliverance we have in Christ. It also involves a thankful response to this deliverance. Our catechism describes how the coming to life in the new nature includes a love and a delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. If Christ is alive in us, we will turn away from sinful thoughts and deeds that grieve God. We will meditate on his law, seeking to know how God wants us to live. 
We will seek to do the things that bring glory to God and that advance the kingdom of Christ. It'll be a joy for us to live in close communion with our Savior. In the sermon this afternoon, I've asked you a lot of questions. And beloved, that was done with specific intent. It was done to help you answer the question presented in our theme. Do the marks of conversion show forth in your life? Do you see in your life a godly sorrow for sin? Do you see in your life a godly joy in righteousness? Perhaps the answer is yes. Although your life with God has its ups and downs, you see that the fruit of the Spirit is evident in you. What a cause for thankfulness and rejoicing. Praise God for His grace on you. But beloved, perhaps you're not so sure about the state of your life with God. While you experience joy and grief in your life, you don't really see much sorrow for sin or much rejoicing in salvation. Perhaps the Lord's words to the lukewarm church of Laodicea apply to you. I want to read those words with you. They're found in Revelation 3, beginning at verse 14. And the angel of the church, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I, have need, I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched and pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, that you may be rich. And white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve, to anoint your eyes, that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. To the churches. Beloved God in His grace comes knocking on the door of our hearts every time that we read from His Word, every time we listen to a sermon, every time we involve ourselves in Bible study. Are we listening to His call? Do you hear the voice of the Good Shepherd calling your name? Are you repenting from your sins? and seeking a living relationship with your Savior and Lord? By the power of the Spirit, are you living out of the joy of your faith? The Lord has a wondrous salvation in store for all those who believe in Him. We may share in that already now in our time here on earth. God gives joy to His people. 
He allows us to rejoice in the gifts of salvation that he has granted us. Yes, in our lives as Christians, we will continue to struggle against the devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh. There will be times of sadness because of sin and because of the results of sin. But our sadness is overcome by the joy of salvation, by the peace that comes from being restored in our relationship with God. Beloved, the peace and joy that we may share during our time on earth is nothing compared to what we will receive in the time to come. One day we will no longer need to be involved in the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. We will enter a new life on new heavens and a new earth, a life in which we will be free from sin and from all its consequences, a life in which we will be able to serve God perfectly in all good works, a life of joy and bliss with God forevermore. Are you heading on the pathway of everlasting life? Amen. Let's respond by singing together from Psalm 51, stanzas 4 and 6. We'll do so standing. <laughs> 